Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and welcome to all of you at our West Campus, South Campus, Hive, Converge, and of course, our internet campus. Uh, what a great day it is to worship the Lord together. Uh, I have to start off by first saying uh, tip of the cap to the Horn Frogs. Great win for you yesterday. Big win. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, Man, Chandler Morris played out of his mind. Uh, but even a bigger tip of the cap to uh, the veterans. Thursday is Veterans Day, and we are so thankful for the service that you have given uh, to our country and to us. So thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, I want to take you back a little bit to a movie that came out in the 90s. It was called 10 Things I Hate About You. I know you're thinking, this, that sounds like an awful movie, Cody. Well, it's actually a romantic comedy based on Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew, and it's set in a high school setting. And uh, actually, a quote in that movie that I will never forget actually has pretty much nothing to do with the movie, uh, but these two girls are walking out of the school, and one of the girls says to the other, she says, I know you can be underwhelmed and you can be overwhelmed, but can you just be like whelmed? <laughs> to which the other girl says, I think you can in Europe. <laughs> I never forgot that quote, obviously, um, because I've pontificated on that a lot. Can you just be whelmed? We all know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. We all know what it's like to be overwhelmed. But can you just be whelmed? It's a great question. And as I thought about that question, I thought, no. It is impossible to be whelmed because to be whelmed means that you are devoid of expectations. It's to live without any expectations about anything that will take place or go on. And we have expectations for everything in our lives. You, you can't go to a restaurant. You can't go to a movie. You can't wake up in the morning without an expectation of how your day is going to go. You are going to have an expectation and either be overwhelmed or underwhelmed. And the same is true not just for everyday life, but for our Christian life as well. You have expectations about what it means to follow Jesus. And you sometimes are overwhelmed by what that means. Sometimes you're overwhelmed in a great way. Sometimes you're overwhelmed in a negative way. And sometimes we don't have the right expectations of what it means to follow Jesus, which makes us be overwhelmed in our world today. And when we don't have those right expectations and we're overwhelmed by what it feels like to live for him in our world today, we can be very underwhelmed in our walk with Jesus. We've got to have the right expectations of what it means to follow Jesus and the experiences that we'll have in our world so we're neither overwhelmed nor underwhelmed, but just whelmed. So if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're gonna start in verse 18. We're gonna continue our series called 
poured out, where we're looking at Jesus pouring out his heart to his disciples the night before he would be betrayed and therefore crucified. And remember, we're studying this portion of John's gospel because we want to embody his heart. That's why Jesus is pouring his heart into his disciples is because they will be his representatives on the earth. And we wanna be his representatives on the earth, but specifically so that we can reach those in our own backyard who don't know the love of Christ. And so we want to embody his heart. So that's why we're looking at this portion of scripture where he pours out his heart into his disciples. And last week specifically, we looked at John chapter 15, where we saw that Jesus is pouring his heart into his disciples so that they will bear his fruit. That means that they will look like him. Remember, he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So if we're connected to him, we will look like him. And guess what? If we look like him, we will be treated like him. And that's what he's going to begin to explain to his disciples at this last part of John chapter 15 and even going into chapter 16. So what I wanna do is read a couple of portions here. So I want you to follow along with me and I wanna read John chapter 15 verses 18 to 21. Then we're gonna skip and I wanna read chapter 16 verses one through four. So follow along with me. Jesus tells his disciples, if the world hates you know that it has hated me even before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates, actively hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, guess what? They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they'll keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. I'll go to 16 verse one. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And may God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. And so what Jesus is trying to do in this portion of John is he's trying to adjust the disciples' expectation of how they will be treated in this world. If you'll remember, we've talked about this in the first couple of weeks, the disciples walked into that upper room with Jesus to celebrate the Passover feast with completely different expectations about what would happen the next few hours. Remember, they walked into Jerusalem thinking that they were about to rule and reign with Jesus, that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and he would establish his kingdom. And remember, we we used Luke chapter 22 as context and the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. They were arguing about who was gonna sit on his right and who who was gonna be on his left who are gonna have the the positions of prominence and power. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not what I'm doing. 
I'm not doing it the way that you think I'm going to do it. And so Jesus begins to adjust their expectations. And he wants to adjust them to say, hey, guys, the way that the world treats me, they're going to treat you that way. And he's adjusting their expectations so that they wouldn't fall away. That's what he says in John chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. That word falling away is a super interesting word. The, the Greek word is skandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal from. And what it means is, it means uh, it's a trap that is set. The, the imagery is like a, a rabbit trap, something that snares an, an animal. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to be caught in a trap. To, to stumble or be ensnared because you didn't expect how hard it would be. He, he, they, the disciples want to say, hey, I, I didn't sign up to be hated. And guess what? Probably none of you did either. You didn't say, Jesus, I, man, if there's a, a hate group, a group that wants to be hated, I'll be a part of that one. No, nobody wants to sign up for that. But Jesus said, guys, you've got to have a realistic expectation of how the world sees you so that you don't fall into this trap and you aren't ensnared and therefore fall away from me. And remember, falling away, go back to John chapter 5, or 15 verse 5, go back to our memory verse, apart from him you can do nothing. So if you fall away, you're not connected to him, you cannot bear his fruit. You won't experience the abundant life in Jesus that he wants you to experience. So he's trying to adjust their expectations, that if they bear his fruit, they will be treated like him. And so what I want to do today is I want to prepare us the same way that Jesus was trying to prepare his disciple, that if we look like Jesus, we will be treated like Jesus by the world and hopefully adjust some of our expectations, even help you understand why we're treated that way. Give you some applications and then at all of our venues, we're gonna be celebrating communion. So if you're on the internet campus, please go ahead and get those supplies uh, together. So let's look at these first couple of verses because I want you to see the way that Jesus is going to encourage his disciples is by telling them that what you'll experience from the world, he has already been through. He wants to encourage them. And, and that's been my prayer for you this entire week is that this would be the most encouraging sermon about hate that you've ever heard. I want you to be encouraged, and Jesus wants to encourage his disciples that, hey, even though you're going to be hated, guess what? I've been there before. They hated me first. In fact, that's what he says in chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Now, the question that you should be asking here is, why does the world hate Jesus? What, what I hope that you know about Jesus is his mission statement. His mission statement, he says it very succinctly and plainly in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to sacrifice himself as a substitute for our sins so that we would be saved from eternal hell and damnation. I, I mean, 
you go, here is our hero. Here is our savior who's showing up to save the day. Why would anybody hate him? The reason why the world hates him is because he is reflecting back to them as a mirror their own wickedness. That's why they don't want anything to do with him. In fact, he says that in John chapter 7, verse 7. He says, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. I'm a, I'm a mirror. I am reflecting back to the world that they're, they're evil, that they're not righteous. And the world doesn't like seeing that. The world doesn't like hearing that. And that's why they wanted to crucify him. You see, there's an understanding that you have to have about the world, and all of this is on your sermon notes, but I want you to understand the perspective that the world has. You see, the the way that Jesus is talking about the world here is the world is an organized system of society that is hostile toward God. That's what he means here by the world. He's not talking about the physical earth. The word that is used here is cosmos. He's not talking about uh, the, the, the stars and the sun and the moon. He's talking about this organized system that is hostile toward God. That we even know that, that Satan is in charge of that organized system. That God in his sovereign permissive will has allowed Satan to rule the world, this organized system that is hostile toward him. And I know that'll blow some of your minds, but that's why this world that he's talking about hates Jesus. It's because it's anti-everything God is. I read a commentator that said it this way, and I think it's very good. The world involves philosophies, activities, organizations and ideologies that spring from a place that wants to establish a life apart from God's rule and reign, that clothes itself in hatred toward God in sophistication, refinement, culture, and progress. It is a system that is set up that doesn't want anything to do with God, and this is nothing new. Look back at Genesis chapter nine and the Tower of Babel. The, the, the hu- humanity wanted to do something apart from God so that they would be God themselves. God, we know how to do it better than you do. And so we will do it our own way, our own self. And then you know in Romans chapter one, that's where God says, I'll turn you over to your own desires then. You think you can do it? And obviously it just goes down the tubes. You see, the world doesn't want anything to do with God, and that's why it does not acknowledge the words and works of God. In a a part that we skipped there in verse 24, Jesus says, look, I have done amazing works among them, and they don't want to acknowledge them. I came to show them that I was the one that could save them, that I am God, and they don't want to acknowledge it, and they don't want to listen to me because they wanna do it their own way, all by themselves. They won't even acknowledge the work of God. That's why Jesus ends in verse 25 by saying, the world hates God without a logical cause. I want you to see that. Look at verse 25, if you have your Bible open. It says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled, and this is a quote from Psalm uh, uh, Psalm 69, verse four. 
It says, they hated me without a cause. That, and that resonates with me because I, I think we oftentimes have the mindset that if we treat people in a kind way, then what do we expect in return? Kindness. And I, I, and I, and I think that's, that's logical, right? We, we think what we give, we should re- receive. But what we've got to remember is the world hated Jesus without cause. You see, the way that the world treats Jesus is not logical, it's theological. They don't want anyone ruling or reigning over them. They don't want to submit their will to anyone, much less their creator, God. They they don't want to live under his rule and reign. And that's important, I think, for us to understand that the world hated him first and without logical cause. And you say, why is that encouraging? I think it's encouraging because what Jesus is saying is, wherever you're going to go, I have been before. What the, what, whatever way that you're treated, they've already treated me that way. I am a guide who's gone before you. And I think that's super encouraging. A few summers ago, uh, Jen and I took the boys on a little rafting trip uh, in New Mexico. And they, it, thankfully, there was a guide uh, that was going to be in the boat. It wasn't just, uh, or the little raft, it wasn't just up to me to guide down the river. And so in, in talking to the guide, what do you think one of the first questions I asked him was? Have you done this before? <laughs> right, you know, I'm about to put my family in this guy's raft. Have you gone down this river before? And of course, he assured me he's done it plenty of times, and it was very pleasant and, and calm. It was great because he had gone before. And that's assuring to me that, hey, it doesn't matter what I'm looking at ahead. Even if it's to be hated for Jesus' sake, I have a Savior who's gone before me, who leads me, and who's been there, done that who knows and can sympathize and empathize with how we are treated. So he encourages his disciples that he was hated first, and then he warns his disciples. He says, hey, expect that the world will hate you. Why? So you won't be surprised and fall away. So that you don't fall into this trap. You expect that if you're nice to people and you love them and you just want to share truth with them, that they should be nice and receive it as well. And he goes, no, don't expect that. If you expect that, you're going to get caught in a trap of expectations. You'll be overwhelmed by the way that they treat you. In fact, he says this in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you. And you go, good, if. No, no, no. That's a conditional clause that assumes a positive response, meaning it's not if, it's when. When the world hates you, and then he goes on in verses 19 and 20, he says, if you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, don't you think they'll persecute you? 
If they kept my word, then they'll also keep yours. Jesus brings back around, that should be familiar to you, this a servant is not greater than his master. Do you remember where you heard that before? Okay, you don't. Okay, John chapter 13, remember? John chapter 13, when Jesus is washing their feet. And he said, a servant is not greater than his master. So he's telling them that because if you're following in my ways, then you will love one another the way that I love you. He's using that as an example of how we should treat one another. Now he takes the same phrase and he uses it in not how we treat others, but how we will be treated by others. A servant's not greater than his master. If they mistreated me and you're living like me, don't you think they will mistreat you? Christian, let me say say this. The more you look like him, the more you will be mistreated the more you will be hated. And for some of you, that that is a collision of desires. And I get it. Because you say, Cody, I wanna look like Jesus. Like, I I wanna follow him. But I don't wanna be hated. And that's why he assures them, guys, you don't belong to this world. This is not all you're living for. The world, as, as he describes it here, this is all they have. But I chose you out of this world. You're not of this world. You don't belong to this world. You see, everything that we represent shows that we don't belong here. You see, we're not a part of this organized system that's hostile toward God. Now we have been brought out, set apart, and chosen. Christians are a new organism with an altered allegiance to God. We're not an organization. and uh, We are now a new organism, the body of Christ where we all have a part, where we are now alive in him and we have a new allegiance. We do not not have our primary allegiance to anyone but him. We don't don't put up an allegiance. See, in in the world, and you, you understand this, in a world, an allegiance shifts all the time. It's who do I have to be to whom? And if my boss says this and, and break the law a little bit, fudge on this, then my allegiance has to be to him. And if this person says to do this, then I'll fudge and I'll do that. And my allegiance shifts all the time. Now we say our allegiance is to him first and foremost, which plays into the second thing, that Christians allow God's authoritative teaching to guide their words and works. This is our authority. What God says the Bible says, what the Bible says God says. We don't shift on public opinion. We don't say whatever the world begins to say, we'll drift and follow that so that we can fit in. God has chosen us out of the world to stand out just like he stood out. And when we live by his word and stand on his truth, we do stand out like a sore thumb. We're supposed to because we look like him. You see, Christians reflect an illogical relationship to the world. The world does not understand a Christian's perspective. Why? Because we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And those prepositions matter a ton. Yes, we're in the world. We're here. Yes, But as he says, we don't belong to the world. 
Don't forget what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We're, we're called to, uh, that's the new allegiance that we have because we have been redeemed. That's what redeemed means is, is bought back, bought back from the world. We don't belong to the world anymore. And the, and, and the world doesn't understand how to relate to us. Like, what? I, I don't get it, Christian. You have a different set of values. You have a different set of marching orders. You don't just simply do what it takes to fit in. You always stand out. You don't act like the rest of the world. It's an illogical relationship because this is not all we have. We look forward to what is to come. And to those in the world, you understand how I'm using that, this is all they got. This is, this is it. That's why there's this illogical relationship. And so Jesus tells his disciples, expect to be mistreated. Expect it. If you don't expect it, then you'll fall into the trap. We, we understand that. Our expectations have everything to do with our emotions. And I wish we could be devoid of expectations, but you can't. And so because we bear fruit, because we are connected to the vine as his branches, bear his fruit, look like him, we will be mistreated and misunderstood just like Jesus was. And that's okay. Because let me remind you too, I just told you about John chapter 13. Don't forget where he uses that phrase, a servant's not greater than his master. What does he follow that up with? Love one another. See, we're supposed to encourage and help one another along the way. To remind one another, yes, we do have an illogical relationship with this world. It doesn't make sense, but hey, brother, sister, we look forward to what is, what's to come. And we're gonna encourage one another to persevere. But we don't just have to help one another. Jesus gives us another helper. You see, Jesus assured his disciples, you won't be alone and you'll be empowered, actually, to imitate him. He doesn't leave us alone. And I love that part of that passage that he talks about in John uh, chapter 14, where in verse 18, where he says, I won't leave you alone as orphans. That's why he puts us as part of this new organism, the body of Christ, but he also indwells us by his spirit for all of you who have placed your trust in him. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He says that in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Same word as bear fruit. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit empowers us to imitate Jesus, to live like him. And that's a powerful thing. It should be a powerful thing. So much so, let me give you an example. Because think about the disciples. When Jesus goes to the cross the next day, how many disciples are around him? goose egg all of them fall away all of them and they're holed up in this room in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 2 when what happens Holy Spirit comes 
And when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them as believers in Jesus, what do they begin to do? They begin to testify about him. I mean, this is, this is exactly what happens in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit comes and begin to bear witness and the world is on fire for Jesus. 3,000 people come to know him that day because they bear witness about him. The Holy Spirit does not, it indwells us. Jesus says, I'm not gonna leave you alone, but I am gonna empower you to imitate me and bear witness for me in this world, to endure this hatred from the world. Because folks, the world could list more than 10 things they hate about us. And that's okay. It's okay. The more you are hated, the more you look like him. That's why I said, I want this to be the most encouraging sermon on hate you've ever heard. It's illogical. I know it doesn't make any sense. But the more you're hated, the more you look like him. And folks, that's the way that our world is going. It's the way that our country is going. We should not expect that they would accept Christian values. Why? There's no reason to expect that. What Jesus sets up for, for his disciples is, the world is gonna hate you if you look like me. So bear witness for me. So let me give you three very quick applications of how we should apply this knowing that we'll be hated. The first is this, don't compromise your witness for Jesus by conforming to a world you do not belong to. Don't compromise your witness for Jesus by conforming to a world that you do not belong to. The temptation that exists is that if, and man, I share this, okay? I, I, I'm not preaching uh, at you, I am preaching for us myself included. If, if I know that I'm gonna be hated for something, my temptation is to shrink back or to blend in, to, to, soft, to soften that blow. I, 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 I wanna blend in, I don't wanna stand out. But we cannot conform to the world. We cannot look like the world. Folks, you cannot two-time Jesus. It's as, it's as simple as that. You can't flirt with the world and flirt with Jesus. Scripture says our God is a jealous God. And in some ways, I used, I used to not understand that. And it makes God sound like a narcissist in some ways. Like he just wants your full attention. And guess what he does? Because guess what? The world is just as jealous for your affection. And the more that you follow the world, the more you're ensnared and, in, and entrapped and not experiencing life. And that's why he's jealous for you is because he bought you back. You've been bought with a price and he wants you to experience the life that he paid for in full. And so for some of you, it's, it's time to DTR with Jesus. It's time for you to define the relationship. You need to make a commitment to him. And maybe today is the day that you do that and draw the line in the sand. 
and you say, oh, I'm confused. You know, I don't know who I like more, the world or Jesus. No, you're just trying to confuse both. You're not confused. You just don't want to commit. Trust me, I did Life Stage 2 ministry plenty, okay? It's time to stand up for him and to make a commitment. And, and here's why. I, I, I want to I tell you a very sobering thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, which we'll study later on in the new year. But in Matthew chapter 10, he says this, for those of you considering a DTR with Jesus today, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. That is sobering. You see, some of us are afraid of the guilt by association that comes from following Jesus. But let me be very clear. If you experience guilt by association with Jesus on earth, then you will experience glory by association in heaven. They both go together. And I know you wanna experience <laughs> glory by association with Jesus. And so sometimes it's guilt by association here, but we can't compromise. You can't go back and forth. Don't flirt with the world and Jesus. Second, don't isolate yourself from a world that needs to see God's heart incarnate. Another temptation that we have is that if, if we know we're gonna be hated if we stepped into that, we'll just retreat. This is, this is the monastic movement. We'll just, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just shine the light of Jesus right here in our home. Nobody, no, you know, we're, we got our ticket. Nobody else has to see it. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine in my bedroom. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The world needs to see that. How is the world gonna see that? And you say, hold on, Cody, but then, then like I'm, I'm gonna be hated. You know what? And that may be the way that they see Jesus. My a mentor a long time ago gave me a great illustration. And he said, and I've used this before, but this applies here, of Cody, we're all like sponges. Nobody knows what's inside until we're squeezed. And it's true. And sometimes that's why we're left in the world is because the world's gonna squeeze you and they're gonna see Jesus. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's gonna be squeezed for our sins. And what does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And there are people at the foot of the cross who put their faith in him because they see what happens when he's squeezed. We can't isolate ourselves and say, I don't wanna be squeezed, that hurts. It does, but you're not left alone and there's gonna be great fruit that comes from you being squeezed for him. And then third, don't hate the world or retaliate because God loves transforming his enemies into his children. Do not miss this. Don't hate the world or retaliate because God loves transforming his enemies into children. Let me say this, Christ Chapel. It is one thing to endure persecution and it's another thing to pick a fight. Okay? 
We are called to endure persecution because we look like Jesus, not because we treat people like jerks. And when we bear his fruit, we're gonna be hated. And what we wanna do is we wanna retaliate and hate in response. And we wanna go, oh, you wanna call me nasty words? I'll call you nasty words. And you wanna bump up again? I'll bump right back. And you go, hold on, is that Christ-like? Is, is that what Jesus would do? He doesn't call us to hate the world. And the reason why he doesn't call us to hate the world is because he loves the world. Isn't that the, the, the verse that I hope that we've all memorized and put deep down in our heart that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Loved him so much that he gave his only son because he wanted to see his enemies transformed into his children. And guess what? You are evidence of that transformation. Because you and I were all enemies of him. We all wanted to rebel against Jesus. We all wanted to go our own way and we all hated God. And the only way that that cycle was broken was when Jesus laid down his life for us and loved us first. You see, folks, we, in our world, we are in this cycle of hate. And the only way that that cycles is it spirals down the drain. And the only way to break that cycle is to love. It's the, it's the only way. It's the way that Jesus broke the cycle and it's the way that we break the cycle. So be encouraged, expect it, it's okay. The more you're mistreated, the more you look like him. You're empowered to imitate him. And so I leave you with what Jesus said, which we'll study later on in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for wanting to set right expectations for us and giving us the expectation that if we look like you, we'll be treated like you. Lord, I know you don't want us to be mistreated. You don't want that for us. That's why you tell us this, that you don't leave us alone, that you give us the Holy Spirit, the helper to empower us, to persevere. Lord God, may we be a church that when we're hated on account of you, when we're squeezed, that people would see you and come to know you. Help us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We wanna live in your name just as we pray in your name. Amen.